You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. We started off this year and we looked at the first 11 chapters in Genesis. And we looked at the power of God through creation and his deep love that he had for us in that. And then we saw his hatred of sin. And we saw that start to take place, uh, particularly at the, at the flood, that he had seen the sin that had run rampant all over and started to infect all of his creation. And he wipes it out, but because of his love for us, saved Noah, saved us through that. And then last week we, we looked at the Tower of Babel and saw how uh, God still loved us to bring us back and to save us from ourselves as well. This week, uh, Scripture kind of changes gears as, as far as its tone, as far as how it's written and what it looks like at this point. So those first 11 chapters are a little more historical, are a little bit more um, to show just God's power. They're not super personal. Um, but then we get to chapter 12. And it starts to focus in on individuals, in particular, one family. So today we're, tar- we're starting with Abraham. We're starting looking at Abraham, and he's not even called Abraham yet. We haven't gotten there. He's Abram at this point. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 12. And I love Abram because he is one of the more relatable people in Scripture. Um, He will do something really good and then immediately follow it with something really dumb. I don't know how many of you guys do that. I I do that, I I think, the most in my health life. Is that I'll go for a run, and I'll feel great, and I'll be like, man, I went for a run today. I deserve a milkshake. I don't know if you guys have looked at the calorie breakdown, but those two things are not equal. Like going for a run, if I still wanted to be healthy and benefit from it, I'd be like, I'll eat half an Oreo and that'll be it. You know, but like I do that. I'm like, let me, I'm so healthy. I have been eating healthy for two days. I can get a milkshake. And it's like, well, now you just undid everything that you just did. So I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but that's what we see Abram, Abraham do over and over. You're kind of, kind of hear a similar message as we look through these passages, but we're picking up in Genesis Uh, We're actually going to pick up in uh, chapter 11, verse 31 is where it picks up. It says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and, make, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Don't miss this. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going, going toward the Negev. I love this passage because Abram's faith is amazing. Absolutely amazing. He had incredible trust in God. God tells him, I have great plans for you. I want you to go. And he just goes. He just goes. Doesn't ask follow-up questions. He just goes. Now, the first thing I want us to take away from this passage is that God is greater than excuses. God is greater than our excuses. I think what's crazy about what Abram does is if we put into our terms, if you felt like the Lord was telling you to move, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to pack up everything you own. I want you to put a for sale sign in your yard. How many of you guys would just be like, yeah, I'll do that. With no question of, wait, so where am I supposed to live? Where am I supposed to look for a house? Do I need to, I mean, where am I looking on, uh, you know, what, Trulia to find my next house? Like, where, where am I going, Lord? Abram just does it. He goes, okay. And he packs everything up. And he just goes. There's no follow-up questions. There's no when. There's no, uh, well, let me take a couple minutes. Like, I have kind of a lot of stuff. Like, and he just does it. He just packs it all up and leaves everything. That passage tells us that uh, he leaves his father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Leave what you know and go. And he just does it. He just does it. Abram didn't make excuses. He's a wealthy man with a lot of land. It was a big way people had wealth then, and he left it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, he says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus basically says, following me doesn't mean things are going to be easy. Following me may mean that you have to leave behind your comfort. He was homeless. Jesus was homeless. He says it there. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Another, another person asked if he could go bury his father. Now, Jesus' response seems really harsh. Let, me, let the dead bury their own dead. But that phrase, let me first go bury my father, didn't mean that his dad was actually, had already passed. They made arrangements, like they had the funeral time set. What it meant was, Lord, my dad's kind of old. I'd like to be with him when he dies, also so that I can get my inheritance. You know, it'd be really good for me if I could be there. And Jesus is like, no. So it's a little less harsh than it seems. You know, it's not like his father was already dead and he's like, no, you can't go to the funeral. It was the man was asking for a little bit more time. And then again, the, the last person comes and he says, first, let me go say goodbye. And, and 
that next line I think is really good. To move forward, you can't look back. Those of you guys who have farms, who have gardens, if you want to make a straight row, you have to look straight because if you start to look back, you start to veer off. You don't end up moving towards the goal that you had already set. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't look back. you got to keep moving forward. He says again in Luke chapter 14, he says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who of you, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, again, I want to reframe Jesus' first words that he says, you must hate your father and your mother, your brother, your wife. You must hate all of these people. He doesn't literally mean to hate them, but he means that when we look at our love that we have for Jesus, when we look at the priority that we put him in, that there's not a close second. There's not a third. There's not a fourth. There's not a fifth. Because when it comes time to make a decision, if we are met with a decision like Abram was, where the Lord says, go, are we tempted to say, but my family, but my job, but my comfort, That's what Jesus is saying here is everything else can't even be a close second. The love that you have for them should look like hate. Not literal hate, but is anyone else's mom really good at guilt? Anyone? A couple, just, just me and two other people. Other. Okay. Okay. I know like, I know like 40% of you in this room are related. So I know you can't raise your hand. So if your mom's good at guilt, just give me a wink. How about that? How about that? If your mom's going to just give me. All right. My mom is, is, is good at guilt. She's really, uh, she's really good at that. And I think that if my mom didn't know Jesus and I felt the Lord call me to be a missionary across the world, her response would be like, do you hate me? Right. But, but really, and that's, that's what Jesus means is you have to be willing to say, God told me, so I'm going. I know you might not be happy at me for pulling your two grandbabies halfway across the world, but God told me to do it. And if there's any part of us that goes, I don't want my kids to be raised without their grandmother. That's what Jesus means. You have to be willing, if he asks you, to sever those ties for his sake. And that's hard. And that's why I admire Abram. That he was able to say, yeah, I'll go. I'll go no matter what the cost is. Put God over everything else. That was the message. It is now. It was with Abram. And it will forever be the message. 
We see Abram unquestioningly put obedience to God over everything else, put his faith into action. I want to show us what faith in action looks like. I asked Matt if he would help me with an illustration this morning. So Matt, I want you to come up here. So Matt is our, our student pastor, youth pastor. I don't remember what it actually says his job title is here. He has no idea what he's getting up here for. I'm sorry about the mic. I don't know what it is. Do you want to use that? No, we're fine. Okay, so stand here. I need you to stand here and face me. All right, then let's go this way. All right, I need you to stand here and face me. Here's what I need from you. I need you to not look anywhere except me. All right? So I'm going to ask you to put faith into action. So don't just keep looking this way. Look right here. Don't look anywhere else. Matt has no idea what he's doing. I texted him. I said, hey, you're going to be at church. I need you for an illustration. So I asked him today, and he's like, I don't know what you're going to do. And I said, it's okay. Do you trust me? And his response was, well, so far you haven't let me wrong. So we're going to see if Matt has the ability to trust me. So here's what I need from you, Matt. Do you trust me? So far. I need you, don't bend your knees, I need you to fall backwards right now. Oh, that's fantastic. Just go. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That was great. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Everybody give Matt a hand. So for those of you guys, nobody else could see Matt's face, but Matt's face says, I'm about to hit the ground. His face to me said, I don't know why you're doing this, but if it's for the Lord, I will fall and smash my head onto the ground. I'm sure you're glad that I had planned for those men to catch you. I do appreciate that. <laughs> Did you really think that you were just going to fall? No, I didn't think I was going to hit the ground, but I, I, was, I was looking for you like, That's what faith in action looks like. Matt had no idea that I went to their Sunday school class earlier and said, all right, guys, I need you to quietly come up front when I call Matt up because I don't want Matt to just splat and hit the ground and then I have to take all the students to the mix. So <laughs> Matt can still do that. That's what faith in action looks like. That you can look at God and say, I don't know what's behind me, but if you say fall, I'm going to fall. I trust you completely. Matt had so many excuses I haven't even known you a year, Blake. How am I supposed to trust you with my life? There's nothing back there, Blake. How am I supposed to just fall and not get hurt? He could have made so many excuses. I've got a wife and kids. Please don't do this to me. But he didn't. He had faith. He trusted that I would not let him down. And I appreciate that. And I'll try not to, but I can't promise you it's not going to happen because I'm not God. So thank you, other guys who didn't let me down and drop him. I appreciate that. Saying we trust is completely different than acting on it. When Matt told me he trusted me earlier, he didn't know that he was going to have to actually put that into action. It's easy to say we trust God. It's a, neat, it's a harder thing to do to actually fall back, to put our faith into action. I think one big question that we may have, and, and you might have it in your head, you might not have it, but it might come up later, is how do I know when God is telling me to do something? How do I know? 
Because when we look at the story of Abram, it seems really easy that it's like God told him to go and do this, and Abram went. But it doesn't tell us how he said it. It doesn't explain to us, this is how you hear God's voice. This is how God said it to Abram. It looks easy when it's Abram. It looks easy when it's like God told him to do it, and he did. Let's look at, I want to look at several practical tips on how we know we can hear the voice of God. The first is to get quiet. Get quiet. This is really hard to do in 2020. Because we have cell phones, you might have a house phone, you might have several TVs, tablets, a smartwatch, an Alexa who's listening to everything you say and sometimes just responds and you say, I didn't even say anything to her, I don't know what you thought I said. But we have all of these devices, all of these things that are vying for our attention, that are competing for us. You have to turn it off. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb. Turn off the TV, just like you would if you were listening to a real person. If you were sitting down to listen to someone, you would turn off the distractions. When you want to listen, you, you know when you're at home and it's late and it's dark and you hear a noise and you're not sure what it is? That kind of quiet. That, shh, shh, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me mute the TV, shh, shh, shh. Did you hear that? That kind of quiet. Because you're listening for something. It's not just quiet for the sake of quiet. It's quiet to listen, to turn things off, to get quiet. And, and I can't describe God's voice to you. It's not something that I can say, well, you know, it's kind of a baritone voice. You've got to listen for it. And, and I've never heard God speak to me audibly. I'm not saying he can't, but I'm saying I'm Baptist and he knows I couldn't handle it if he did. I've never heard the Lord speak audibly. It's always an inner voice. But I want, to, want us to see how we can know when it's God. Next thing is that we can spend time with Him. We get quiet and we spend time with Him. Last week, we talked about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that verse ends by saying that through the renewal of our mind, we will be able to know what is the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The more you spend time with someone, the more you recognize their voice. One of the sweetest things that's ever happened to me in my whole life was when Elizabeth was born. And she's four weeks old yesterday. When she was born, she came out... She's crying, you know, because she's a newborn. And they lay her on Maddie's chest, and she's still crying. And they pass her to me, and they, I, I lay her on my chest, and I start singing. And she stops crying. Because she recognized the voice of her father. In the womb, she had heard me talk a lot on Sunday mornings. She had heard me sing. She's heard my voice, and in that moment, in the chaos and the craziness, she knew her father's voice because she had spent time with me against her will because she was bound to her mother, so she didn't really have a choice in the matter. But she had spent time with her father, and she recognized his voice. 
Likewise, likewise, the more you spend time with someone, the more you recognize their voice. Your spouse could call you from an unknown number and you would recognize their voice. But if a stranger calls you, you're like, who is this? The more you spend time with someone, you begin to be able to recognize their voice. And the same is true with God. We spend time with him. We start to recognize his voice. The more we spend time with him, have you guys noticed that when you spend time with someone else, whether it's a, a buddy, whether it's a spouse, whoever it is, you start to like the same things, you start to do the same things, you start to say the same things. Again, spending time with someone will start to change you into being more like them. You start to make the same decisions. In the same way, the more we become like God and allow Him to live in us, the more our will will start to align with His. Last thing I want for us for how we know we can hear the voice of God is that God will never contradict Himself. God will never contradict Himself. God will never tell you to do something that is against what He has already said in His Word. We know that because 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then later in Titus, it tells us that God never lies. So if scripture is breathed out by God and God never lies, he cannot contradict himself later. Because to contradict is to say that first thing was a lie. So God will not contradict his word. That's very important when we're listening for God, listening to God, that he will never tell us to do something that goes against what he has already said in Scripture. We have to hold up what we think he's calling us to do with Scripture and say, does this match up? Does this line up? with what he has already told us to do. What's great is that if we are doing these things, if we are spending time with God, if we get quiet, if we spend time, scripture, prayer, being with him, and we line things up with his will, we'll be able to more naturally make decisions that line up with his will. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This isn't like a genie. This is telling us when we are abiding in God and his word is abiding in us, our will will start to line up with his. So these things that it it seems kind of weird, like I don't know how God told Abram to do something, I don't know how he speaks. Doing these things will line us up to where he can more easily speak to us, where we know what we're doing is in line with him. When we are abiding with God, intentionally dwelling in him and his word is dwelling inside of us, then the things that we ask for will automatically be lined up with his will. Our will will start to be his will. And that only happens when we surrender our desires to him. We get to the point where we say, God, you are so good. It doesn't matter what I want anymore. I just want what you want. We see the goodness of God. 
when we know that he can keep his promise. That Abram didn't just go with no promise. When we go back up, it says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we know the goodness of God, we can say, what you want is better. I want to live in obedience. I want to continue in Genesis 12. And I think this is a passage that can give us a lot of hope. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. And the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent them away with his wife and all that he had. So here we have Abram, who has so much faith that God tells him to go and he goes. And then the first time he has a chance to put that faith into action, he goes, I don't know if I trust that much. No, I don't know if I trust God to not let me get killed by these men. So I'm going to take things into my own hands. And he tells a half-truth because Sarai was his half-sister, but a half-truth is a whole lie. He was deceptive. He was hiding the truth. And he, he tries to take control of the situation. And I think it's so much like us. Like I said in the beginning, that we do something so good and then we say, you know what? I've been good. I can have a milkshake. That's not right. If we want to do good, we got to do good. If we want to live in obedience, we have to live fully in obedience. Not say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go. And then the first chant, the first speed bump we get to go, oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to handle this one myself. I don't know if I trust you that much. And what's amazing to me is this shows us that God will use you in spite of you. God can use you in spite of you. To me, it's comforting to know that a man who is known for his faith, later in Abraham, Abram is praised and touted because of his great faith in God. Yet this first chapter we're introduced to him, we see him have a complete lack of faith in God and say, you know what, I'm going to take control of this one. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if the Lord will spare me from the Egyptians, so I'll just lie and make sure that I don't get killed. He didn't trust God. He didn't have faith, this man of great faith. I'll tell you, and you'll hear it over and over again, this is not the last time this happens. 
This exact same story happens in like a few chapters. So you'll hear this same story again because he does it again, which is funny that he didn't learn the first time. Anyway, doesn't it sound like us? It's comforting to me. God has used me to lead students, to lead worship, to preach. He has used me in so many different areas of ministry for over half my life. And I can tell you, I have not lived perfect for half my life. Almost half my life. I have not lived perfect for almost half my life. But God has used me. God will use you in spite of you. With all of your failures, with all of our shortcomings, He can and will still use us if we are obedient. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be obedient. Scripture is filled with imperfect people who were willing to obey. If you just look back at what we've talked about in Genesis in these few short weeks, we've seen Adam and Eve. They were not perfect. They first people, they make a mistake. God still used them. Noah was used to save all of humanity. And we saw his shortcoming after he gets off the ark. Now we get to Abram, famous for his faith. In the first chapter, we see him fail. Only thing perfect in Scripture is God. Don't feel pressure to be perfect. Just be obedient. Be as obedient as you possibly can be and allow God to work through you. Let us realize that God is greater than our excuses. That whatever it is that we are scared of, He is bigger and better. We can be sure of Him when we know His voice from getting quiet, from spending time with Him, from looking at Scripture. And thankfully, we don't have to be perfect to be used by God. He will use imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plan. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.